and welcome to the Tavern Chat Podcast. I am your host, Eric Tenkar, your bartender in the OSR, your main proprietor at the Tenkar's Tavern blog. This is another in our series of designer and makers. Again, I don't want to. I don't want to call it interviews because we don't really stick to a script, but uh, to sit down chat. Somebody said that's called like a, a fireside chat. Maybe we'll get that. Who knows? In any case, today. We have Omar Galan from Stella Gamma, Gamma Publishing. Stella Gamma there Publishing. we go. That's a tongue twister for me. I just think it's just too many letters. I'm in New Yorker. We abbreviate everything. So um, I'm lucky I even came close to getting that right. Omar, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. All right. So what we're going to do is we have uh, five basic questions that I ask of everybody that comes on. And then from there. We'll go where the conversation takes us. Isn't that good for you? Excellent. All right. Omar, uh, tell us about your first RPG experience. I think it was about the ninth grade or even eighth grade with a few friends. It was, uh, as was usual for us at the time, it only was two sessions of D&D. We hardly did anything with characters. It took us one session. Then we found something called Mactweller, I think. It's like a tiny Tyrannosaurus Rex that spits water with you or something like that in okay. second edition. And that's it. It was it was interesting. It lasted very short because, you know, kids at this age are not always very committed. And then I started uh, DMing because no one else would do it to other uh, friends. I, I feel your pain. I, I think I went through that same kind of deal where after I got introduced to it, nobody else wanted to DM. Everybody just wanted to be the players. Exactly. Okay. Now, what is your go-to RPG system and why? Currently, I'm playing the D&D 5th edition because uh, this is what people want to play. And I'm True. also playing a Traveler. Because and right now, see if he's in, and because the traveler is, I think, one of the best science fiction uh, rule sets out there. It's also very old school. If you're talking about OSR, it's the old school science fiction system. And Cephas Light and Cephas Engine before that are trying to recreate this old sensation of science fiction, of uh, classic science fiction. Well, yeah, I, I I saw that you are the publisher of Cepheus Light, and I'm realizing that I really uh, need to delve into that because I my introduction to science fiction role playing was the uh, Traveler uh, box starter set, and I, I remember in high school rolling out Traveler characters during our our breaks, and, and the challenge was. How many could you get killed in character generation within 45 minutes? Yes, this is one of the main features. You know, we talk to people about Traveler, they say, oh, it's a game you could get killed in, in character generation. I even have a t-shirt saying that. Yeah, well, it's, it's, that was uh, unique to me. So, all right, we'll, talk, we'll definitely talk more about Traveler as we go on. Let's hit you with the next question. Um, now, you started out with uh, D&D or AD&D? It was AD&D 2nd Edition because uh, uh, okay. 
first edition was never translated into Hebrew in the 90s. You couldn't just get things which weren't translated in Israel. So okay. uh, we had the second edition. We didn't have any expansion. It was only the three core books. And uh, even one of them was photocopied, I think. And we had dice from somewhere, so we played the basic books from, I think, 96 or 97 to 2000. Only three basic books and dice, nothing, no expansions, almost no adventures. Some uh, of the old, you know, BX adventures from, uh, which all, were also available, and that's it. Now, all right, so then I was going to ask you race as class, yes or no, but... You didn't. You didn't really have access to basic expert. You came in with uh, second edition. We had access, but only after I saw second edition because it was also uh, translated, but it was old at the time, and uh, you know it was quite difficult to get all these things. That makes sense, and I'll, I'm going to tell you right now, you, you were probably best served by only having access to the core books. The uh, complete class handbooks were the downfall of second edition, if you ask me. But you were probably you 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 were probably uh, blessed in some way by 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 not having that translated. Yes, because when I saw them, I think it was around the turn of the century. I ordered them from Amazon, which was a new thing back then. So they were like quite bad compared to the core books. In, yep. Imbalanced, useless, more or less. They cost me a fortune. Yeah, they 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 were the one thing that uh, in second edition that really, like I said, unbalanced the gameplay. Uh, my old group, which I still get together once a year uh, in the springtime just to hang with, uh, we, when we played, you know, I'm 51, we played in our, our, we were playing in our 20s with second edition, and uh, Blade Singer is still the thing that comes up as a an elven kit from the complete book of elves that pretty much broke our campaign. That, that's pretty bad when you can remember that 30 years later. Yes, because uh, the, I think it was the complete uh, wizard book or something like that. It was completely, I don't know, it seemed very useless after, you know, I waited two months for this to arrive. And I think yeah. it was like all the kids which didn't give it anything interesting or useful. It was like pointless, completely pointless. Yeah, it was, it was definitely not, the, not definitely not the high point. I think that, in retrospect, the Encyclopedia of Magica that was a good series, because it really didn't introduce anything that wasn't already out there, and it was all, uh, I don't want to say optional stuff, but it was all magical goodies, and that you bring in as you bring in. But the complete series was so. Uh, goddamn official apparently in our minds that we had to use all the kits we didn't understand that you could say no to using certain parts of these books that was uh uh certainly the downfall to uh to our gaming back then i think that the third edition was some kind of a move forward at the time because second edition had a lot of problems to it i think compared <laughs> to the old bx books and it was a mess in many ways. It tried to combine all sorts of things, and it was a complete mess. And third edition gave United Mechanics. Of course, in retrospect, it has all the problems that pushed me back to OSR. But at the time, it was like a, a new breath of fresh air. Well, you know, you have to remember, too, that second edition 
came to be because they wanted to write Gary Gygax out of the uh, the rules and therefore out of owing him any kind of uh, recompense or commission or whatever for sales of the first edition book. So they they put out a second edition, and if you look at it, Gary's not one of the authors, so therefore he wasn't getting any residuals. Now that that was that was part of the let's. Let's make sure Gary is completely removed from the company as best we can. Indeed, All right. it's a problem, yes. Yeah. All right. So, where do you stand on Save or Die as a as a part of your campaigns as a DM? You probably know from the fact that I like classic travelers that I am very in favor of this because. You know, dangerous encounters should be dangerous. It's not like, uh, you know, you see a poison, a venomous stay, a snake or a poison needle, you should treat them with respect. If it only causes you 1d6 damage or uh, something like that, like in uh, the fifth edition, you don't respect it, you don't feel it. Right. If you're high level, you don't care about it. No, it's... Uh... It, it certainly does make the game dangerous at all levels. That is true. All right. What would the teenage you think if they could see what you would accomplish in a hobby by this point in your life? If I would have seen then where I went in my adulthood about hobby? Well, you know, you have success. I, you've got a number of releases on RPG Now. Cepheus Light is a best silver seller on drive through. Uh, when, when you came into gaming, did you ever expect to be a self-publisher, to be uh, a publisher of, what, yeah, three dozen uh, products on RPG Now? I didn't expect it. I dreamed about it. I thought it was, you know, my dream job to do it. Right now, I'm still having it as a second job because, you know, it doesn't cover all my living expenses. So I have to work in translation. But uh, back then, I dreamed about it. You know, the dream job was to sit and write things for, the, for D&D. Back then, I didn't know how to write an adventure or anything like that. But uh, gradually, I learned how to do it. And then I had my opportunity in 2011 when I published uh, Outer Veil, which was a setting for uh, Mongoose Traveler, through okay. Speaker Publishing, and this taught me a lot about how to publish. Then I, I could, a few years later, five years later, I started uh, self-publishing. All right, well then, let's talk about your self-publishing. Your self-publishing, uh, you've had some... I, 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 Looking at what you have, you have White Star, Swords and Wizardry compatible, Stars Without Number compatible, uh, Cepheus Engine, which is essentially Traveler, classic Traveler. Um, you, you've got a large catalog here. So, you know, what was your like first really successful release, the one where your eyes opened up and you said, wow, this is viable? I think it was supplements for Stars Without Number because uh, I'm sorry to say, but uh, White Star supplements, they sold quite nicely, but Stars Without Number products, they sell like hot cakes. Completely blew my mind. They are still selling very well, three years later. Nice. Well, I, I mean, 
Stars Without Number was the first, I guess, OSR science fiction rule set that that I came across. The first one that really stuck out to me, and it, the success that it's had is nothing short of amazing. And I, I think it's not just uh, smart marketing and an excellent system, but it's that the official releases from you know the publisher are slow and steady and top-notch like he doesn't push anything out that it isn't finely tuned and to capture even a portion of of that audience means that you're you, you put out some really good stuff that uh that meshed with that and that that's nothing to be uh you know shy about that's that's awesome i think the best sellers uh, in connection to sound without number are very short, very simple supplements like uh, character options or civilian starships or our expanded uh, star system generation rules. Someone buys a very small, very cheap book. It adds a lot to the game. It's very simple. It doesn't, you know, people, people generally speaking like flat box better than they like settings. This is in my experience. Yeah, adventures are a harder sell unless it's a mega dungeon for some reason. Um, I, I, again, I don't know why, and, I, and I've heard frustrations from uh, different uh, third-party publishers, or uh, I don't want to say small publishers, but so you know, n- not the big handful uh, that isn't Wizards of the Coast or Paizo. But I, I've heard the frustration that, that you know they'll publish an adventure and it doesn't get the numbers that rules will get or rule options. And I think often what is forgotten in this uh, is that when you're selling uh, the core rules or you're selling options to the core rules or even the setting, you're likely to get uh, a large portion of the people that are playing that game. Every player wants the rules. The GM needs the rules. Every player wants the setting to know what's going on. The GM has a setting. But when it comes to adventures, you're selling to the GM and you're selling to the collectors. Uh, people like people like me who buy almost everything that comes across in the OSR. And your by your audience is much less that way. And it's I think that's why it's harder to get those numbers with an adventure. Yes, uh, one of our settings which is this sales of ours, it uh, sold quite well, but uh, again, I think Cephus uh, Light sells for, uh, far better. Cephus Light, which we also did, which was to put it uh, as pay what you want. So many people simply didn't pay, but many people also paid for it because they liked the idea, because uh, they heard about it. So it sells very, very well. But yeah, I... the one book which is selling even better is Piracy and Privateering, uh, which is both for uh, Civis Engine and for Star Wizard Number, and it sells completely in an insane amount. Really? All right, I have to check into some of the stuff. I, I, I do know that pay-what-you-want pricing is it's interesting on the uh, drive through platform because if you sell something for free, it will never rank in sales. You could you could have five thousand copies get downloaded. You'll you'll never hit a sales rank. 
But if you have it as pay what you want, even if they pay nothing, it counts as a sale and gives you sales rank. So if you want to make sure your product is seen in the rankings and, and has a chance to become silver, electrum, gold, or whatever, you have to be pay what you want. And it's like a tip jar. And having a tip jar where your your fans, uh, your community, the people that are enjoying what you put out there can can put some coin into uh, and, and, and pay you back a bit, it's excellent. And I, and I, I, I do think that pay what you want is a, a, an excellent option for stuff that would otherwise be given away for free or or at a very low price. I think you, you put that decision in the hands of the consumer. And I think that in general, you get rewarded. I think it's also the tradition for Slipfus Engine because the original Slipfus Engine was, all, was also pay what you want. So the idea is this rules of pay what you want. Uh, other community resources like uh, Near Space, which was a map and the uh, traveler stats of uh, nearby star systems, real life star systems. It all uh-huh. also pay what you want, also said wonderfully well because uh, all kinds of resources in Cepheus Engine by various publishers are also done this way and are also selling quite well, as far as I know. Interesting. Uh, you know, and, and, and science fiction is a, is a hard market to, to get the same share as, like, as like the, fan, like the fantasy uh, gaming. I mean, we look at, at, at Paizo and their, you know, their their attempt at putting out a science fiction system, and I'm not I'm not saying it's a failure, but it's not the success that they had expected or at least hoped for. But to be able to make a viable market out of science fiction is one of the few things that you know uh, starts without number and even like White Star afterwards did. They are there aren't too many options in and science fiction gaming uh besides i guess the licensed stuff like star wars and star trek i have i want i want to see because you know for example i think it's a one of the table of the virtual tabletop services i don't recall which they have statistics but uh, what gets Uh played and the star without number was doing far better than traveler than the the official traveler and i Hoping to see Cepheus Engine climb around the level of uh, of Traveler even even higher. I hope because uh, it's I don't say only Cepheus Light because Cepheus Engine generally has I think it's catching quite well. No, I, yeah, I've heard a lot about it, and to be honest with you, yeah, I, I have a copy of the regular Cepheus Engine rules. I scanned them. They look close enough to the Traveler that I remembered. I mean, I've seen Traveler go through many revisions, not just the two from Mongoose. I think the best thing, actually, that Mongoose did was release the Traveler rules under the open game license. I I think that that, in and of itself, sparked a lot of life into the Traveler engine. And uh, that was a gift to the community by doing so. But I I think it was also very good for them because they had a huge third-party support for for many companies and uh, when they cancelled it 
proposal second edition, everyone moved to Sirius Engine. If they would have had the uh, OGL for open game license for uh, the second edition, there would be no Sirius Engine. People would still publish for them. Yeah, I didn't realize there was no OGL for the new uh, second edition of Mongoose. That's interesting. Yes, they they had they moved to community content on Drive Through RPG, and uh, this had several disadvantages for publishers because for individuals, for fans, who want to put out Traveler material, it's wonderful. But when you're a publisher, then your uh, marketing options, for example, are very limited by the na- very nature of this. Oh yeah, well, I, believe me, I've actually looked into that, and you know. When you're a self-publisher uh, through uh, drive-through, depending on whether you sign the exclusive license or not, you're, you're making 65 or 70 percent of your sales price back as your 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 money for the sale, and they take the other 30 or 35 percent. But if you're publishing through their community program, you're only making about 50 percent because the other 50 is getting split between drive-through, and the company that's doing the licensing, whether it's Wizards of the Coast or Mongoose or whoever. And if your stuff is up with them in the community, uh, you can't sell it elsewhere is what I understand, especially if you use any of their IP, which they are licensing you to use to the community. It's real... uh, It's a potential complicated bag of shit uh and uh, again if you wanted to i guess write in the third imperium or you know whatever and, and use stuff that is ip that is uh under the traveler ip i guess it's to your advantage but i i don't see it and yeah i can see why people would say you know what we need to uh, uh just like Pathfinder was a rewrite of third edition. Um, so people could write their third party, you know, stuff and not have to worry about writing A for a dead system or writing under the restrictions of the game system license for 4E. But I, I don't understand the fear that publishers have of the open game license. I, I guess that's part of it. I mean, you would think that Mongoose would have looked at what Witches of the Coast did when they switched to the game system license for e, an attempt to put the genie back in the bottle and said, wow, it didn't work for Witches of the Coast. Why is this going to work for us? And still, this, uh, I think they made a mistake because they had wonderful support from, the, from third-party publishers. And now they are publishing for themselves. They had, I think they have some good products right now. Uh, the, some of the adventures are quite good. But uh, community content is for fans. It's not for publishers. If you're a fan of Traveler and you want to go to the Third Imperium and write all sorts of Third Imperium stuff, finally you could do it in any place, not only for even one sector they, were, they wanted to limit which settings you could write for. Now you could write for anything you want. You don't get a lot of money for it, but if you're a fan and you, in the past you would write it fat stuff, now you are getting for it, uh, you're getting paid for it, which is very nice for fans. For publishers, it's not something to, to work with. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, 
again, I, and I've and I've actually spoken with other publishers who had considered using that community system, community based publishing system that RPG now slash drive through has, and it's it, again, it's good if you are seeking to retain a tight control, I guess, on your system's IP and have others uh, basically give you money because, you know, the publisher's making about a 20% cut on every sale and all they're doing is allowing you to use their IP. And uh, that's, a huge, that's a huge chunk of change to, to, to potentially get while just sitting in your chair doing nothing as a publisher. Yes, I think it's one of the problems with this. Uh, but again, it's it spawns the Cepheus engine, and Cepheus engine spawns Cepheus Lite. It gives a lot of opportunities for smaller publishers to do what they want and to be creative. It was it was good for the community. It was bad for Mongoose. Oh, I'm sure, and that's nothing up, and that is what it is. Now I got a question. Uh, what is the difference between the Cepheus engine and Cepheus Light? I mean, you're you're talking to the person who who put together the Swords and Wizard Light rules, where I stripped out, you know, from like 120 pages down to to four. But I had a different I had a different goal. For what I can see with Cepheus Light, you pretty much retain the core engine. You have most of your options there. What did you What did you cut to to bring this down to size and is it compatible with everything that's uh of the full of Cepheus rule it is compatible the thing is that uh, I essentially rewrote the rules so they will be much clearer for people to read uh, we added examples of rule use because this were I think quite lacking in uh, in or even in traveler they're also lacking uh, because people who are not from the Traveler community or not from the Cephas community, first time they see Traveler character generation, they don't know what to do it, with it. And we have, I think, three or four examples of this, of world generation, of the combat system. This is something new. Um, we streamlined everything. The file itself, if you discount the examples, which are quite long, is about half the word count of Cephas. Yeah. Engine, yes, it's uh, Cepheus engine is around uh, 80,000 words, and this is around 40,000 words. Of course, if you add uh, the examples, it goes about 50, 60,000 words, but still, you could say half the size. Uh, of course, in uh, with layout and the art and everything, it uh, gets a bit closer. Okay, uh, that, no, that, that's 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 really good to know now so pretty much anything that would have worked with i guess mongoose traveler first edition should fit fairly well with cepheus with uh, cepheus uh, core or uh, it's called also the system reference document it will fit perfectly then directly because it's essentially the based on the the srd they put out with Cepheus Light, it all will also work very well. A few skill names are different, but other than that, it uses its interfaces with adventures, for example, in a very, very efficient way. So you don't have, need any kind of 
complex conversions. It even it is even uh, quite close to classic traveler if you want to. A lot of the systems they will work with older traveler products or other other two D six systems with no problem. Okay. Well, here I'm going to throw something out at you before we uh, wrap this up. But this was something that you know, I, I came into gaming through AD and D, and I was always used to the idea of character progression. Then I found RuneQuest, which had character progression, but it was much more granular because it was percentage based and had all these different skills, which was again a huge leap. And then I found Traveler. And Traveler had a large number of skills, but all what you started out with, based upon your character's career path prior to gaming, skill-wise is what you had. To me, it always seemed like uh, Traveler was more of your character improved by acquiring better items, a better ship, uh, more political power, or something like that. Um, how do you see the difference between Traveler and other games that, you know, Traveler's kind of front-loaded, I guess, like I could say, when it comes to to, to skills. How do you uh, compare that to other, other games that you've played? I think one of the advantages is that you, you know, as I said, our original said for Traveler, it's ordinary people doing extraordinary things. You're not playing a larger-than-life hero. You could play a professional. You, you could play a real, a real professional if you want. Uh, if you roll quite well in character generation, you could have someone who is a doctor or a special forces soldier, but you're still human uh, or alien if you're using alien rules. And you're still vulnerable, and you still have to use your head. And uh, part of this is that there are skills, but you could do a lot of stuff even you're not, if you're not skilled in something. And people see a character with very few skills, and they are used from D20 systems to having a lot of skills. They say the character is useless, and it isn't useless. The character essentially could do a lot of stuff without it. And yes, progression includes all kinds of political power in the world, acquiring stuff, building a starship, there are wonderful starship building goals. And they build a new commercial empire. Uh, unfortunately, I think there are no, almost no emperor building goals for Traveler. There are for some of the older editions. Right. For the first edition of Traveler, there's something called Pocket Emperors. It's quite a complex system. It's about 100 pages of, word, word of uh, emperor building rules. But uh, I think Traveler will do very well with, uh, you know, rules that you could start from. Uh, for a mercenary or a merchant and start building your corporation and your empire, it, something like that will benefit the rules very much. Yeah. I, that, that was to me, like I said, when I, when I was, I had a, did a little change in my mindset of, you know, with, with D&D, you start weak and you, you have to become more powerful. And with Traveler, you started Generally speaking, pretty well skilled, and it was a different mindset that I had to adjust to. I I, I ran a lot of Traveler back in the day. I used to love the uh, the double adventure books for Traveler, like the flip books that they used to come out with. Because I figured I got a lot of gaming bang for my buck out of those. 
So, uh, Golan, what do you have coming up uh, release-wise? What are you working on now? I'm working on a few things. One of them is going to be a UFO book. Uh, we took all the shapes of classical UFOs, not only fly, flying sisters, saucers, but all kinds of them. And we are having them with deck plans and renders and everything and stats for Traveler and White Star and Stars Without Numbers. So if you want to have nice. UFOs and aliens, you will have them. Uh, part of the deck plans are already prepared. We, still, we are still working on the rest. Our artist is still working on the rest. And this is going to be a very cool book. You will also have all the rules to have uh, gray aliens and uh, even play them for all three systems. For for Cepheus uh, Eden, we already have such rules because in this stars of ours, they are the main antagonist race. But uh, but the UFO book is going to be, I think, one of our next releases. We are also working on another adventure for the stars of ours for our setting. Uh, called the Vermana Intercept, which is also going to be some kind of uh, espionage and action adventure. Uh, other than that, uh, I'm working on a long-term project, which is called Source of Cepheus, which is going to be a sword and sorcery version of Cepheus Light. I'm all, I only started working on, on it this week. It will, I think, take about a year for us to write and playtest and edit everything, but it's going to be very, very cool. Definitely keep me in the loop on that one. That, that sounds really cool. Before yes, so this is, I'm working about it. Thank you very much. So uh, this is our long-term project. There might be smaller releases along the road, especially for Stars Without Number, uh, because there is there a lot of demand for them. And that's it right now. And in the long run, we might have further settings. Uh, there is an optional setting uh, called Hard Space, which is cyberpunk and uh, horror, uh, which I was working on as a as some kind of side project. It might even get published one day, but this is on the long run. Well, I, I think cyberpunk is something that is uh, underserved these days. It was certainly hopping in the 90s as a, as a genre, both uh, in fiction and, and in gaming. And uh, I I always enjoyed it, so I, I you'll have a fan when that comes out, definitely. So I, and 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 we have uh, Pex uh, listening in in our chat. He says, "Cyber and Steam need more loving." If you want Steam, uh, watch him call it Victorious, the uh, superhero game using the uh, tunnels and trolls. Sorry, not tunnel, not the tunnels and trolls. The uh, troll board engine for Castles of the Crusades. Uh, that might fit your uh, needs there, Pex. Just, just an aside. All right, Colin, we are going to wrap up. I really appreciate you hanging with me and uh, uh, basically opening my uh, my eyes up again for all things Traveler. I had a, I really enjoyed it back in the day, and I've I've purchased a lot of the uh, Traveler Age Society reprint compilations, which are sitting on my shelf behind me, waiting to be read. So uh, uh, you might inspire me to do so. Excellent. So it was a pleasure for me to participate in this, and uh, I wish you all a very good day and uh, very, very enjoyable gaming in the near future. Oh, thank you, dude. All right, folks, we are going to bid you all adieu. Thank you for those that have come in to uh, listen to us record live. 
those of you who are listening on the podcast side, thank you for spending time with us. Uh, as always, be safe, be healthy. God bless. Roll your dice well. And uh, we'll talk with you all tomorrow. Later, folks. <laughs>